Again, my name is Sean. I'm one of your teaching elders here, and we had the privilege this morning in the outside service of accepting uh, George and Diane uh, Pavlis into membership. Uh, they took their membership vows. Finally, it's only been like 10 years or something, but they finally, we, we finally made the cut, so whew, that, was, that, was, that was a close one. So we were concerned about that. But if you see them, next time you see them, go ahead and say hi and, and welcome them with the right elbow of fellowship as we ourselves did. And then also, um, he has already gone now. We're going to try to grab him again. But uh, Austin uh, Higley this morning uh, just left, actually, to report for duty at 2 o'clock um, to basic training for the Navy. So he, we sent him off and commissioned him, laid hands on him, and prayed him away this morning. So if you have an ability to text him, you, might, you can catch him for the next maybe 90 minutes. But then he is gone for a while and will be um, joining the Navy. I believe he's going to be up in uh, the Chicago area and might get out of the Chicago area just before winter, which is a good thing for him. Uh, so this morning we're in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verses uh, 11 through 18. It's printed for you in the ESV translation on page 12. And boys and girls, you also have your own version there. And we'll be referring to those throughout the sermon. This morning you're going to want to have those handy. And I believe that um, the children's bulletin also has that Printed for you as well. And, you know, I haven't said this very often, so I want to always like to reiterate this. And what I'm doing up here right now, this is not an opportunity for me to get up here and give you my thoughts on the state of whatever. Um, you know, who cares what I think? And the answer is no one, and that's the right answer. This is not a time for me to get up here and, and to give you the latest harangue on the state of our culture or the state of anything else. This is when I come up here to the best of my abilities and try to take God's historical, inerrant, authoritative word to his people then and bring it so it's his historical, inerrant, authoritative word to us today. So kind of culturally and linguistically translate that so we can then apply that to our lives. And so just remember that, I'm, you know, when I was a church planter in Boston, people did not understand what I was doing. They thought it was some sort of speech. And this is not a speech. This is when we come to hear from the Lord. And so what I'm going to do today is I want to start us out in, the, in Hebrews by thinking of that movie from the 80s, Chariots of Fire. Remember Chariots of Fire? If you're under 30, okay, sorry, I can't help you. Chariots of Fire is a famous movie, and it starred two guys. Uh, two main characters, and the, the main character was a man named Harold Abrahams. And Harold Abrahams, in the movie Chariots of Fire, said this. He said, when he was asked, why you run? He said this, he goes, I will raise my eyes and I will look down that corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my existence. Sidney Pollack, before his death, as his health was failing, would not retire from filmmaking even when asked to, and he told his family this, every time I finish a picture, I feel like I've done what I'm supposed to do in the sense that I've earned my stay for another year or so. There's this drive to justify ourselves, isn't there? There's this drive to prove to others, to prove to God, to prove to the universe, to prove to ourselves that we matter, that we, that we have the right to exist. Because many of us feel deep down that we don't have that right. For religious people, for church folk like us, the tendency is expressed in what we're calling goat dragging. If you weren't here last week, goat dragging is basically offering to God our efforts, our sincerity, our works, instead of resting in the completed work of Jesus for us. 
Last week we saw in Hebrews chapter 9 that Jesus completely destroyed the sacrificial system. He got rid of it. And not only did he offer the one-time, once-for-all sacrifice for sin himself, but he also cleaned us, cleansed us from guilt. The text says that Jesus gives us a clean conscience. We actually feel clean. So Jesus sacrificed himself and it worked. The repeated sacrifices of the priests did not work. And our creator God knows that Christians leak and so we need to hear the good news over and over again. And so Hebrews 10 basically repeats that same message about Jesus' death being superior to the system of sacrificing animals. So maybe the second time around at a stick or something. So with that in mind, if you were able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered For all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, This is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us in speech. Lord, we ask that we would... remember, believe that speech, that you would reveal it to us in our hearts by your spirit. Open this text up to us and us to it, Lord. We ask that you would do this through and perhaps even in spite of the messenger this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So we've been seeing and discussing how it's only in the truth of the gospel that we'll be free from, from dragging the goats of our religious performance, hoping that if we bring all this stuff to God, he'll like us more. And that gets us to our theme for today. A theme is kind of how we like to wrap up the whole worship service in one little sentence. You can use this at lunch to talk about the service and see, did we get there? Our theme today is this. Because Jesus sits, we don't have to stand. We're going to see that Jesus' sacrifice has perfected us, but we goat draggers prefer to stand. So we're going to jump in. Verses uh, 11 through 13 show us right off the bat that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice as priest. So the author of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, is writing to break a people's addiction to a sacrificial system. Verse 11 emphasizes that the, the futility of those sacrifices, it says they could never take away sins. It's pretty straight up, pretty straightforward, but yet we miss it. Boys and girls, I want to make sure you don't miss this, so let's look at your translation. Boys and girls, get your bulletin out. We're going to look at verse 11 together. Here's how we did it for the kids. Every single day, the old priests stood, repeatedly offering the same old sacrifices, which had no power to remove sin, ever. Now, boys and girls, if you're paying attention, we we heard all this last week, didn't we? But just like you probably hear, clean your room, put the dishes away, fold the laundry, 
You probably hear that over and over again, too, don't you? Because we, we forget. Well, so, too, we Christians forget God's grace, and so he's reemphasizing the same thing to us again. God's people kept dragging animals to the priests again and again and again for their sins, but it didn't work. No matter how many goats they drugged to the altar, the guilt, the fear, the shame, the depression, the emptiness never left. Because goats and bulls cannot atone for sin. Now, the emphasis here in this text is on the fact that there's no chairs in the tabernacle. Is this, a, is this some sort of commentary on decorative theories in the Old Testament or New Testament? Maybe the feng shui was off or something. The, the flow was not right. Why do we care about furniture, right? Who cares? Well, here's the deal. There's no chairs in the tabernacle because the work never ended. They never had a chance to go and sit because the people kept bringing their goats, because the people kept sinning. It was over and over and over. It never stopped. I had our, our, our communications director send out a, a link to a YouTube video this week about an old I Love Lucy skit. For those of you who are under 35, you might find out what I Love Lucy is. Anyway, those of you who do know it, remember this scene from I Love Lucy? Remember the classic comedy sketch? She's in a chocolate factory with her friend Ethel, and they have to wrap up these chocolate pieces, and it starts out super easy. Oh, they're like, hey, this is fun. They're wrapping. All of a sudden, it starts going faster and faster. They get behind. She starts stuffing in her mouth. Ethel stuffs it in her hat. They start stuffing down her shirt, and it just keeps coming. It keeps coming. They can never get ahead of it. And you can hear Ricky in the background just laughing. It's, it's great. I highly recommend you watch that clip. This is what comedy used to look like. It's great. And why am I showing you this clip? Because that's what the author of Hebrews says the tabernacle was like for the priests. It was to no avail against all the, the sin just kept coming. The people just kept coming with their goats. They kept slitting throats. They kept burning animals. The people would sin again and come back and do it again. It was this vicious cycle, and the priest could never get ahead of it. Can you, I mean, stopping and sitting, are you crazy? We can't even, we can barely stand. We're so exhausted. It never ends. And then there's this incredible distinction, isn't there? between the work of Jesus and the work of the priests. Whereas they stood constantly, what does it say Jesus did? He sat down. Look with me at verse 12. It says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus is comfortable. Jesus is secure in the very presence of his father, God. We miss it, but there's this huge contrast there. On the annual day of atonement, we talked about this last week when the high priest would enter, and the, the day is called Rosh Hashanah, or Rosh Hashanah, and it's coming up in a couple weeks actually. On that annual day, the high priest would enter with blood to, for his own sins and for the sins of the people to get forgiveness. What we don't realize was multiple, multiple biblical sources tell us this that he would have bells attached all over him, and that he would have a rope tied around his ankle while he's doing his work in there. Boys and girls, why do you think he had bells all over him? Maybe he was going to try to be like a one-man bell choir, you think? Or maybe he was like trying to be like Rudolph, right? You know, hey, oh, here it comes. We hear the bells. No. You know what it was for? It was dangerous. If he messed up, he would die. God would strike him dead. And so the bells were so they could hear, the people were outside the, on the other side of the curtain going, okay, I hear tingling. I hear t- okay, he's still doing it. He's still good. 
But then all of a sudden, what would happen if it got real quiet in there? Like, Bill! Bill! Oh man, he messed up. Grab the rope and pull the body out. Because they can't go in there. That's deadly. I mean, somebody needs to call OSHA. This is an unsafe work environment, right? We don't, we don't want this. Can you imagine being the next priest in line? Like, all right, let's get the rope on you. You're like, <coughs> COVID, got to go home, quarantine, right? This is deadly serious stuff. This is not safe. They were stressed. They were uncomfortable, exhausted, afraid of messing up. And here is Jesus sitting back victorious and comfortable. It's such an incredible contrast. I don't want you guys to miss this, so let's all look together at the kids' translation. We tried to capture the emotion of it for you. Let's look together the second half of verse 12, and then verse 13 says this. It says, He's done with his work, and now relaxes next to his father, looking forward to his enemies, propping up his feet. Boys and girls, can't you see that in your mind? Jesus Christ is sitting there kicked back in his lazy boy because he's done working. See, the priests are in a position of servants. But Jesus is in the position of a king. Jesus is secure and he's comfortable at ease with his father. And in him, we can be too in the presence of God himself. Oh, if you've confessed Jesus as Lord, he anchors you. He secures you to comfortable access to God's presence. You can go into the Holy of Holies, like we said last week, like it's just dad's office. You're welcome there. You're comfortable there. See, and if all that's true, you don't have to perform for God then. You can rest in Jesus by faith. No more goat dragon. Because Jesus sits, we don't have to stand. And then from that secure place, verses 14 through 17 then show us that we've been consecrated. That's a big fancy religious word that means made pure. We've been consecrated according to promise. Look with me at verse 14. Verse 14 says this, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is one of the most profound verses in Scripture. So the book of Hebrews is actually a sermon. You may not have known that. It's actually a sermon. If you started reading it and you read it slowly with emotion so people could understand it, it would take you about 35 to 40 minutes. It's a sermon, and I believe that chapter 10, verse 14, is the theme of that sermon of Hebrews. So so we're going to pick it apart. So notice the grammar, first of all. It says, he has perfected. All the grammar teachers, English teachers in the room are like, yay, he's using grammar. He has perfected. It's completed action in the past with present consequences, right? And who is it for? Quote, those who are being sanctified. That's Christians. Do you get this when you put it together? The promise of the gospel is that God himself makes us into what he has declared us to be. He has perfected those who are being sanctified. And we in church world, we struggle to believe that, don't we? We assume we have to do it ourselves, don't we? I mean, just this week I heard it, and I know we love to quote this one. We love to quote Philippians chapter 2 when it comes like our efforts. You may not know the address, but you know the verse, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And you got to put that little in there, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We love that one. Yeah, get to work, hippie. But there's a comma, because grammar matters. And the comma says there's a more of the thought. Anybody know what the rest of the thought is? 
For it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So here it is again. Work out your salvation because God's doing it. He has perfected those who are being sanctified. There's this crazy idea all over the New Testament that God declares his people clean and then God takes the action to make it so. And there's this tension there because we don't feel that happening yet. We, we see I've been declared clean. I am not clean. And we live in that tension, don't we? See, and it's the tension of verse 14 that leads us into shame rather than joy because we think that it's our job to relieve the tension. We think that it's our religious efforts which make God's promises come true. And that's a lot of pressure. But verse 14 is explicit. We have been declared perfect before God. It's so hard to believe, isn't it? Even now, most of you have that shame attendant in your head saying that's too good to be true. Not you. You're not godly enough. You are not perfect. See, we think that way because we've been trained heavily to drag the goat of our religious effort to God. We've been conditioned to earn God's favor with our efforts. And so we disbelieve the grace of the gospel when we hear it. And we do so because we are keenly aware of our failures, aren't we? See, but the rest of the story is what? We are being sanctified. He declares us perfect. We say, no, I'm not perfect. But then he goes on, we are being sanctified. He himself is making it true in our life. God is doing the work of making us holy. God is transforming us into what he declares us to be. But goat draggers like me don't believe that. And I bet goat draggers like you don't either. I mean, let's face it. If I struggle with it, I mean, I'm one of like two professional Christians in the room. You amateurs don't have a chance. We need some help, right? We need some help. We Christians keep dragging our works to God instead of resting in the work of Jesus. See, but this, this grace has always been promised. It's not a new idea. It's always been intended. It's always been promised, which is why the writer of Hebrews picks up his Bible and he quotes Jeremiah 31, 33 and 34, to show them that it's true. For us, it's verse 16. Look at verse 16. It says, This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. See, God promises that he will internalize his instructions into us. By the way, I'm going to take a little caveat here. Pastoral privilege, I have the microphone. The word Torah in Hebrew was translated by the King James people as law, and we have been laboring under that error for five, six hundred years at this point. The word Torah does not mean law, and an ancient Near Eastern Hebrew would slap you for saying it's law. It means instructions. And unlike Ikea, there's actual words, right? So God reveals instructions. Doesn't that seem so much better than, here's my law, versus here's the instructions. Here's how you do life. Here you go. That's the Old Testament law. So when you hear that word, when you see the word law, I want you to start thinking instructions. Can we do that together? Okay, this means yes. This means no. Okay, let's start doing that together. Okay, so God promised he will internalize the instructions in verse 16, and it gets even better in verse 17. Look at me at verse 17. He says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds 
no more. I will remember them no more. Boys and girls, remember Finding Nemo? Remember how he, Marlin and Dory go through this whole crazy adventure to find the, the, the little fish Nemo. They finally get past the Great Barrier Reef. They finally get, uh, what, the East Australian Current with the cool dude turtles. They finally get to the dentist's office, and they think they see Nemo dead. Remember that? And so the pelican picks him up, and he takes him all out near the edge of the ocean and drops him out to the end of the bay. And Marlin is heartbroken. It's the worst moment of his life. And, and Dory doesn't know what to do. And Marlin just starts to abandon Dory. And remember, Dory goes, no, no, don't leave me. I, I don't want to forget. Remember what Marlin says as he swims away? He says, but I do. And that's what God promises here. All the times we broke his heart and disobeyed. All the times we heard ourselves rejecting his path, God forgets them in Jesus. Boys and girls, here's a question Pastor Sean has. And I'm asking you um, because the adults never give me a good answer. If God has forgotten all of our rebellion and all of our failures, why do most of the adults in this room keep remembering them? That's just silly, isn't it, boys and girls? Adults can be silly sometimes. See, but y'all... The source of our shame is our unbelief. We don't believe he forgets. Because we don't ever actually forget when we forgive somebody, do we? Even though God promises to us kindness and grace, like in verse 17, we're convinced that we have to perform, that we have to compete to impress God. But God tells us, no, I've put my instructions in my people. I've completely forgiven my people in Jesus. I will make my people holy and sanctified through Jesus. How would it change us if we actually believe that? You know, we're firing up our small group ministry after, all the, after the summer and kind of the, the delay for the health concerns. And I, so I was thinking this week about how much of a blessing community is and, and how much of a blessing it is for us that God has abolished this external means of getting forgiveness of sins that we don't have to drag goats anymore i mean can you imagine can you just imagine if that was still the system it's like seven thirty on a thursday morning we got to get to work pretty soon we, we run by the church real quick got a little lamb in tow and we're waiting in line you know because we messed up we got to get some forgiveness right and the guy in front of us turns around and he goes hey bob i just saw you yesterday what are you what are you in for now he goes oh i lost my temper and yelled at my wife and kids you were just in here for that yesterday, Bob. What's wrong with you? I mean, can you imagine that's what we had to do? Because why? An external system where we have to prove ourselves creates lots of shame, doesn't it? Because we don't measure up. When there's a public ritual to be clean, it puts you on a treadmill of fear. Fear of being found out. Fear of never being free. Which is why Jesus has set us free from that treadmill. And if Jesus has set us free from that treadmill, why am I constantly getting back on it? Because of fear, because of unbelief. I'm reading this book right now called The Soul of Shame um, by Kurt Thompson. And he says this about shame. He says, we are only as sick as the secrets we keep. And shame is committed to keeping us sick. You see, our goat dragging makes us sick with our efforts to hide, with our efforts to impress, with our efforts to fake out others. And friends, that's a treadmill. 
Instead, we can believe that the gospel is rest and that we can then rest in the grace of God that He has given to the church in community. See, so instead of our failures being sources of fear and embarrassment and shame, we can see that we're all in this together. We can get, be part of a community group and see, wow, you're just as messed up as I am. And we've been visiting community groups uh, pa- this past week, and we went to one this, uh, in the middle of the week. And, you know, we're, we're new. We're basically strangers. I mean, you guys know our names. But you don't really know us. We're, getting, we're fixing that. But this group was so intimate, and they were so sharing, e- even in front of us, they were sharing things that were embarrassing, things that were shameful, prayer requests, things they needed help in. And do you know what happened? As my wife and I, as kind of outsiders, we felt very safe, and we did too. We shared stuff that was shameful and embarrassing. Could you please pray for us? I know right now, who would the pastor share? Would the pastor share? I'm not going to tell you. So, anyway, but that's what happens in community when you tear these down. Like, I don't have to be fearful. I don't have to be in shame. I can actually believe the gospel and live in community and be free from that fear. That is what's promised here. Because Jesus has won over our shame. See, but goat draggers, we have to compete to be the best performers. Because we know we're not right with God. We're like, hey, I know I'm not doing well. Pfft, doing better than him, right, God? Come on, you and me, we're good, right? But you can never have a community if, if that. But forgiven sin addicts, we can console each other in our struggles. Because in the gospel, you don't have to stand performing for God because Jesus has performed for us and sits because it's done. So you're ready to be free. You're ready to be free. Verse 18 shows us how we're free. It says there's no longer any sacrifice. So here it is. Go, verse 18 is the last nail in the coffin. What's it say? Where there is forgiveness of these. These is, by the way, sins and lawless deeds from verse 17. So I'm going to read the whole thing. Where there is forgiveness of sins and lawless deeds, there is no longer any offering for sin. So the forgetting of verse 17 is the forgiveness of verse 18. God is redundant in his grace because we are obstinate in our shame. But forgiveness is the heart of the new covenant in Jesus. Actual, real forgiveness. Complete forgetting. No awkwardness of past failures. You know how it is, right? You, you have a relationship mess up. You hurt somebody. You ask forgiveness. They grant forgiveness. It feels good. But we're human and we're sinful. And it's still kind of always awkward from then on, isn't it? Yeah. It's not that way with God. He actually forgets. But we don't give that sort of forgiveness. And so we struggle to actually believe he does. And so we think that we have to sacrifice some more and to offer to God more earnestness or more efforts or more of our energy to keep him happy. We are trying to drag a goat to God as an offering instead of resting in Jesus. But verse 18 tells us that God doesn't take offerings anymore. That shop is closed. It's out of business. It's gone. He doesn't want that stuff anymore. Here's what it's like. Remember that old show on the Discovery Channel? Was it History Channel? Remember American Pickers? Remember that show? Remember these guys? I love these guys. And here's how these guys can teach us how not to be goat draggers. Because what we do, instead of throwing our religious efforts onto an obsolete junk pile, you know, with like rotary phones and um, dial-up modems, VCR tapes, what do we do? We, we think we're these guys. 
We rummage around the junk in our lives looking for valuable treasure to offer up to God as forgiveness. I'm going to get serious, God. Is this valuable? Well, I'm going to do this for you, God. Is this valuable? Well, here, I found this. I'm going to give this up. Is this? Okay, well, I'll serve here. I'm going to do this this way instead of doing it that way. It's all the junk we've collected in life, and we're offering it up as if it's valuable. And God says, why is all your junk on my altar? There's nothing I need from you. My son, shut that thing down. Look to him and believe. You see, all our religious efforts is junk before a holy God. Why? Because our God's gaze is captivated by the beauty of his son. And when you place your faith and trust in that son, Jesus' beauty becomes your beauty, and God is captivated by you too. Because he's declared you perfect. And he's determined to work that out in your life. You know, we're having fun with this idea of goat dragging. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it's very serious. Christian, if you are looking to your religious efforts for your security and your assurance, not only are you empowering shame in your life, you're in sinful rebellion to the gospel you claim to believe. You are trying to atone for your own sins. You are saying Jesus isn't enough. And since you know you aren't enough, that denial of the gospel is why you're miserable. Probably even depressed. We'll talk about that next time. Because it's such a drain to perform and not feel better, isn't it? But that exhaustion is inevitable because our efforts cannot make us better. Goat dragging causes shame. And shame is why we struggle to spend time with God privately. Why we struggle to be in community with others. Again, if it's all up to our efforts, then we live a life of comparing ourselves to others. And that's a, that's a contest. That's not community. It's why we struggle with our relationships with non-Christians. Because we know intellectually they need Jesus. And we know that we have the privilege of sharing Jesus with them. But if our Christianity is all about our efforts and our performance, we don't look on non-Christians with compassion. We look on them as adversaries. We judge them because those heathens aren't even trying to drag a goat to God. You see, a goat-dragging church doesn't see itself as a mash unit, a field hospital in the middle of a war, taking in the wounded on all sides. A goat-dragging church sees itself as a hall of fame, full of trophies of achievement, where only the best, most polished get to come. See, but thanks be to God that in Jesus, he has set us free from all of that junk. No more religious performance. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for sin. He fully paid for our sins, fully earned the favor of his Father, and in victory, he sits down. And because he sits down, you don't have to stand, constantly sacrificing on that altar. Look to Jesus and believe. Quit standing on your own efforts. It's so exhausting, isn't it? You can simply rest in the work of Jesus by faith. And he will make you into what he has declared you to be, perfect and sanctified. And you will enjoy being a Christian. You won't be weighed down with guilt. You can have joy. So we opened with chariots of fire. 
of the runner Harold Abrahams justifying his existence through running when he was asked. But there's another character in the movie, a real-life person named Eric Lydell, who is a Scotsman and a committed Christian, and he was asked why he runs. And he said this. He said, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Goat draggers never feel God's pleasure, but daughters and sons do. Will you believe the gospel? Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, even now our stubborn hearts don't want to believe it's this good. We want to do something. Lord, will you overcome our fear? Will you overcome our unbelief? so that those of us who have confessed faith in Christ can live in the fullness of what he has done. Would you free us from looking to him for forgiveness, but to our efforts for your pleasure? And instead, would you help us to rest in the pleasure that Jesus has earned for us? Would you help us to believe that you look upon us with kindness, that Jesus' beauty is our beauty, and you are enthralled with the beauty of your Son in us? Lord, help us to believe this. And Lord, we ask that you would do your work of salvation. You have promised that as Jesus Christ is lifted up, portrayed as crucified for sins and raised for our righteousness, that you would draw all people to him. So Father, we ask that you would do that even now. Build your church. Build your kingdom. We ask all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.